What's up, guys? Super excited to let you know that we're now releasing transcripts of the podcast. It's linked in the podcast description. You can also find it on LinkedIn at Danny Langloss in our documents section. If you're not following us on LinkedIn, please do. We're releasing leadership content daily, really driving a ton of engagement. It's our main platform. If you haven't already for the podcast, please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Please give us a rating or a review. That really helps us reach more people organically. Thank you very much. Let's get after it. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today we're joined by my good friend, Jennifer Thornton, and we're going to talk about the neuroscience behind leadership. So excited about this topic. Jennifer joined us earlier in the season and talked about the seven deadly sins of leadership. So many incredible takeaways, so much positive feedback. If you haven't listened to it already, go back and listen to it right after this one. And as we prep for that one, she was talking, she's an expert in in the neuroscience of, of leadership. She understands it so well, so deep. And I'm like, I want to learn more from you. Can we do this episode? She said, yeah. And, and so here we are now recording it. So I couldn't be more excited about that. And her 20 plus year career as an HR professional, Jennifer's led teams internationally across greater China, the UK, Mexico, the United States. One of the specializations she has that I'm just so fond of is her ability to create high performing teams. And I'm a big guy on fundamentals. And so really understanding the fundamentals of leadership, they're so important, like the fundamentals of sports are so important. Um, and so once we understand these things all the way down, it just makes us much more effective. The great Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget the way you make them feel. And when we think about human relationships and trust, and we think about influence and inspiring others and motivating, it's all about the way we make them feel. And when you understand the neuroscience, you're able to take that, that deep, deep dive. So Jennifer Thornton, thank you so much for coming back and welcome back to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thanks for having me. And we were talking just before we started recording that we could just sit around and talk all day long and people can listen. We're just having a good time together. All day long, all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. You, it's, it amazes me the diverse background that you have and how really you can just pull up no matter what the leadership topic is, you can just pull up and start going right away in flow. And so our guests are in a real, for a real treat. Like I said, the prior episode was just absolutely amazing. Do you want to share a little bit about your background and kind of how you've gotten to where you are today, Jennifer? Yeah. So um, my background, you know, I, I grew up um, really enjoying work. I actually enjoy getting up and working. I love the thought of, uh, you know, working and having a result and the productivity of that. And when I was young, I always wanted to grow up and work in the mall. And that's what I did. Um, I was a mall rat of the 90s and loved working at the mall. But what happened is I very early learned about leadership and team building and um, made a lot of mistakes. And I still make mistakes, but I really was making a lot of mistakes, stubbed my toes a lot, but learned so much through different people that I worked with and different leaders. And as I started to mature and grow, you know, I moved into the human resources side of the business. I really had a passion around talent strategies and creating environments where people could be at their best because when they were at the best, obviously our, our results were better too. And understanding that those two things go hand in hand and 
you know, I did that domestically. I got the opportunity just out of the blue one day to ask if I would move to Hong Kong. And I was like, sure, why not? I've never been there. I should totally move to Hong Kong. And off I went and that started a whole entire chapter of my life. And really that moment, you know, you look back and there's some key moments of change in your life. That was definitely one of mine. It built so much confidence and it built a ton of humility because nothing teaches you humility than trying to go into a country where you can't even order your own food because you can't read the menu and you're having to like figure out how to even get food or to get from point A to point B and then to also lead in that environment where you don't know the culture and you're having to learn it. And so it was just great. It led to a lot of years of some really cool international experience. And then, you know, I woke up one day and wanted to dive deep into my passion. And that's, you know, really thinking about executives, how do they lead? How do they create better environments, which create better communities? And so that's what I do today at 304. We're a talent strategy organization, and we help companies really look at where they're going as a company and what does that mean for their talent pool and what do we need to do to make sure that people are growing with the business. And that's how I got here today. Awesome. What an incredible story, incredible journey, so many great experiences. Uh, one of the things we will do is we, in the details of the podcast description, we'll put in, you know, Jennifer's website, how to connect with her on LinkedIn, a few other things that she shares with us. But I was so blown away by Jennifer. Uh, she did a training here recently and several of our team members from the city joined that training. I wanted to join the training, but I was in and out of physical therapy. And, and so I wasn't able to do that as I'm getting my ACL back to, to where it needs to be. But the, the feedback from the training, from your ability to present the information, the way you convey it, the way you use stories was overwhelmingly positive. And I appreciate you, know, you doing that for our team. Um, and encourage people to really check you out. And after listening to the podcast, they'll, they'll absolutely know why. So let's transition and talk about the neuroscience of leadership. So thank you for that. Absolutely. I'm so glad they attended. It's always good. Leading Edge yeah. is our favorite time of the year. That, that, that is so awesome. So th there's been a lot of research now on the neuroscience, the chemicals within our brain, how our brains work, how we react, how it impacts the way we feel, our energy level, our mood, all of those things. Knowing what we know today and all the research that we have, how, how, does, how does that or how should that change the way we lead compared to what we knew 20, 30, 40 years ago? Honestly, a lot of the things we've been told to do, we should probably throw out the window and never look back because how we were taught to lead, most of it comes from a time and period in which the jobs were very consistent. You know, they were very focused. If you, it was very hierarchical, if you were the boss, you were really the boss of the person who the job you did and, and you knew what everyone was doing. And, and those worlds, that world's gone. Like we don't lead in that type of world. And on top of that, when we were taught these best practices, you know, things around always show that you're strong, never show them that you're weak, make sure that you're very directive and you tell them exactly what you want them to do, like all that stuff, right, that we're told to tell. When we do all of that, it's actually creating a ton of fear and um, holding people back from innovation and learning in the workplace. So a lot of it just doesn't work. And it worked in that time period. It was based on the knowledge we had. And who knows, you and I might talk five years from now, and we might know even more about the brain. And we may throw away the stuff we talk about today. But, you know, we have to really think about what do we know today? And how is the world structured today? And then how do we do our best to lead in that environment and really never hanging on to some old practices, but always um, evolving and finding new ways to lead teams. 
Yeah. How do we get 1% better every day? How do we create the environment for our team members to feel safe, to, to, to be excited to come to work, to be put in an environment where, where they can take chances, where they can fail, but fail forward, where they're supported to be creative, innovative. Cause, cause yeah, now so much more of that is, is required. And you talk about, you know, psychological safety, the importance of that. So let's talk about fear reducing and kind of change because psychological safety is so important. We look at employee engagement, ownership, um, people's happiness and and joy at work, their productivity, which results in the profits. Uh, So from a neuroscience side, can can you dive into that? How do we intentionally reduce that fear, eliminate that fear? There's a lot of pieces to it, but I think the first place we think about is understanding how our minds work when it comes to interacting. So, you know, before I got on this podcast today, I was excited to talk to you. You're a friend. We've always had great experiences. So when I, you know, woke up and looked at my calendar and I saw your name on the calendar, I had some, you know, some good stuff. I had a little dopamine hit. I'm like, woohoo, I get to have fun. Danny and I are going to have a great conversation. So I already came into this conversation with some happy hormones and, and some, some feelings of this was going to go well. So because I think it's going to go well, chances are it probably will. Now, if we had talked previously and I'd felt judged by you, or I felt like, you know, you didn't really get me or didn't like me. And now I have to, you know, come to another meeting with you. And last time we were in a meeting, you were, you know, you wouldn't listen to me or didn't hear me. When I see that on my calendar, I instantly start creating all of these stress hormones and chemicals start firing off and I'm carrying that into that conversation. So the first thing we have to know is our past history dictates how people are going to interact with us. And same thing for us. If we have had a tough time with someone at the last few times we've met them unconsciously, as soon as we know we're going to come into contact with again our brain starts to protect us, which is fear. And it's so important to know that because relationships we all know are built over time, but it's actually truly built over time. And we actually build neuropathways that tell us how to think about people. And every time someone reinforces how we think that neuropathway gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Wow. That's such a big thing. So the one thing we talked about off camera was this unconscious bias right? The, the way our, our brain is making decisions, right? On things that we're not even really conscious about. And so mm-hmm. you're talking about these neural pathways that are created in our minds based on our experiences with people and how right away, that's not only going to impact the, how you feel coming into the conversation, but it's going to significantly impact the way you interpret words, actions, behaviors. Yes, it's exactly what happens. And every time we go to do something, our brains are just really lazy. Their job is to keep us alive. So they're going to reserve energy. So point A to B, whatever is the fastest way, that's where our brain's going to fire off. It's going to go, hey, I've seen this before and done this before straight down that neural pathway. And that there's a lot of value to that. You know, we get some, you know, reserves energy, it allows us to be consistent in our personality. I mean, there's good things in that, but what also can happen is we can build neural pathways that are really, um, 
hurting us. You know, I believe that every time um, I go to this meeting, you know, Mike's going to judge me. Mike may think I'm great. Who knows? But I've created that story in my head and I've ran over that neuro pathway. It just is a rut, right? It just gets deeper and deeper. And I, you know, could have this whole belief. And then when I go into the meeting, I'm not myself. And so, yeah, Mike's probably thinking now I'm a little loony because I'm not myself. I, I have all this anger and or frustration or fear. But it's really easy if you've if you're in that situation, you can actually create neuro new, new neuro pathways, neuroplasticity. And all you have to do, and again, this is going to be easier said than done, but at, through practice, all you have to do is really say, how do I want to think about this different? I know every time I go into this meeting, I feel this way, right? And you can make a list of how I feel or how do I think about every time I do this? Then you say, all right, how do I want to think about it? And you create that new thought and then you practice it and you practice it and you practice it because that's what's going to build over it. Now, if you're having an especially hard day, obviously your brain's probably going to go back to your old thought. You just have to kind of remind it you have a new one. But over time, you will actually create a new neural pathway. And I do this really fun exercise with like a picture of a brain and we take one marker and we draw a little pathway and we talk about what it means and what it is and, and how does it harm us or harm people around us. And we get a different color pen and we make a new little neural pathway across the brain and we talk about it. What does it mean to us? What does it sound like? What could it, how could it change our life and, and really practicing those. And I even have people lay that on their desk and throughout the day when they, when they really think in a way that they want to that new neural pathway, I have them get that marker and keep writing over and over. So over time, they get this visual of this thickening of this line and that helps him create a new neural pathway. The intentionality is a big deal. Yes, totally. Yes. I, I love, you know, I've really been digging into things in the mindset side. It's something I've been involved in for a long time. Um, but, but this whole concept of we're not born with a mindset, we can choose our mindset, we can create our mindset. And, you know, mindset's the foundation of our success. That's what I believe, at least. And so understanding how our brain works, the fact that, okay, I've got this pathway, I'm having this interaction, this is the energy level, that's how I'm showing up, does it serve me? Okay, it doesn't serve me. Okay, how am I showing up? Saying it out loud, how do I want to show up? And then intentionally showing up in in that way is is so, so important. What, so let's, does it make sense to break down some of these chemicals and talk about them and, and what they are and then what insight that gives to us as leaders through our communication. So we can definitely break them down. I think what's the most important thing to do is really understand that every time we interact, we're either going to get happy hormones or fear hormones. That's really at the end of the day, from a simplicity standpoint, they fall in those two categories. And, you know, there's a lot of things in there and there's a lot of nerdy science in there. Um, But what's important to know is you really have at the end of the day about you have two sides of that coin you can pick. And every time we enter into a conversation um, and we talked on the last podcast about the addiction to being right, and that's a dopamine hit. You know, when we're right, we get happy hormone, a happy hormones, dopamine. It's the same thing we get if we get sugar, if we like sugar, if we like shopping, any of those things are that um, dopamine and, um, you know, that stress hormone, that cortisol, I think we've all heard it. Cortisol is tough on our body. It obviously, you know, creates um, weight gain, like all kinds of things we've heard that it does. But at the end of the day, you get either a happy, happy one or a not happy one. And we get to pick 
honestly, we can actually pick which we want for the day um, because our brain believes what we tell it. And so if we tell it today's going to be a tough day, I've got this on my plate and I don't know how I'm going to handle it, then chances are you won't be able to figure it out because your fear has risen and your prefrontal cortex goes down. They're not an exact scale, but, you know, I always visualize them as a scale. The higher the fear, the lower your prefrontal cortex can work, which is where the decisions and emotional control and all this stuff we actually need in life, it goes down as fear goes up as fear goes down, it goes up. And so we have to remember that we've got to keep those um, fear hormone or the fear um, hormones and, and stress and all that cortisol out of our life. Um, one, it's physically hard on us, but it's, it's mentally hard on us too. So as a leader, so if I'm leading a team, what, what are some strategies that I can use? And you can pick either side of the coin to try to release that happy hormones, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, versus the, the fear hormones. Yeah. So, you know, when you think about leading, you know, obviously work has a lot of fear just because we're getting, you know, we're exchanging a currency work for money. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like my work, you may not exchange it for money, right? I might lose my job. I might get in trouble. And you have to remember that your brain's not good at telling the difference of fear. Fear's just fear snake on the leg or yelling. My boss is yelling at me. Your brain's putting off the same stuff. It's still in fear. So when you think about um, the work environment, you think about a modern work environment. One of the things I love to talk about is leaders who make learning and education and discovery cool. So if I work for a bunch of executives and they seem to know everything, they're never wrong. They think they're always right. They've been there, done that. They don't want to hear it and they, they don't really want to listen. Then in my brain, one, I don't feel like I have a voice, but two, I feel like, wow, if I'm not perfect like them, then obviously I'm not any good. But if then if you have an executive team that openly talks about, hey, I work with a coach and I'm, and I'm growing every day or I'm presented with this problem and I think I know where I want to go, but I'm not sure. I'd love to play it out. Like, let me hear from you. You're the closest to the customer. Tell me what you're thinking. That conversation, one, is giving you better information as an executive, but then it's teaching your team that it's okay not to have the answers. It's okay to be an evolving human. And that starts to open up this environment where stress goes down because we're not in fear of getting in trouble all the time. We're actually celebrating discovery and learning and innovation. And if my idea doesn't work, that's okay because I had an idea versus, well, if I give them an idea, I, I don't, I'm going to get in trouble. So I'm just going to say nothing at all. And so those are some of the ways we can start to create an envi environment where people are innovative and we reduce fear by saying, Hey, it's okay not to know it all because we're all learning together. No. Yeah. We talk a lot about the 21st century leadership, leading the whole person and being human, this yeah. whole, you know, humanism concept, because I know coming up through the ranks at the police department, that wasn't a thing. Like the leadership had to be tough, strong. They had to know everything. Um, there, there was a lot of micromanagement. There was a lot of fear-based management. Um, you know, I remember conversations going into the chief's office and getting yelled at because I didn't have enough, you know, radar tickets the six months before. Um, and I'd, I'd been assigned to investigations. I wasn't even doing that job anymore. And mm -hmm. so you'd learn how to survive in that environment. And you really can't come to work as your full authentic self. 
versus when you have leaders, as you've talked about, that show they're human, that realize they don't have to have all the answers, that care about what you have to say, that take the time to get to know you individually, both at work and your qualities and your goals, but at home, your likes, your dislikes, your family situation, you know, and only, it, and, and we shouldn't dig to where people aren't comfortable, but most people want to connect on that level. And when we do, um, that, that, neuro pathway you're talking about when that person is coming to see you and speak with you is a positive one. It's a safe one. It's a happy one. Hey, this person's my cheerleader. They've got my back versus the situation. You know, when I went in, you know, to the chief's office, because whatever the situation was, I knew what I needed to do to survive and just get the heck out of there as fast as I could. And you think about high stake jobs. I mean, there's like policing, um, you know, military, you know, the people are making a lot of very difficult decisions, you know, in a split second of a split second. And if we're managing those people where there's all this fear and so their prefrontal cortex isn't really ready for what they're having to deal with anyhow, because they've just gotten yelled at for two days straight, that that's not helping them be better at their job. You know, there's high state decisions around, you know, publicly traded companies talk about some high state decisions there too. Very, obviously very different, but anytime we're in an environment where our decisions are incredibly impactful to communities, to finances, to lives, to any of that, the more we can reduce fear, the more that person can make a decision that's better, a better decision for them and every single person around them because their brain's prepared in a different way to make that decision because it's not just bogged down in all this fear hormones and the fear and the stress hormones. No, absolutely. What When we talk about motivation, when we motivate people, when we inspire people, you know, we break that down to fundamentally, what advice or suggestions or tips do you have when we think about the neuroscience of the brain to be more effective in those areas? Oh, great question. You know, I think that, you know, we've been told to always cheerily, you can do it, you know, you know, you've got this, you can do it. Well, what if that person's like, I don't have it and I can't do it, right? And so through motivation, you've actually put them in more fear. I'm going to disappoint them. You know, they think I can do this and I can't. They said it's easy, but it's hard for me. So again, that old school motivation actually many times creates fear. But if you know someone's up against something and you need to do some motivation, you know, they're going into a tough situation, you can say things like, you know, I know this can feel difficult. How do you want to, how do you want to feel about this situation to help you get through it? Let them tell you that how they need to feel about it, because then you can lean into that and you can deliver to them what they need. You can also say things like, you know, I know that you're going to have to make some tough decisions. What decision do you want to brainstorm with me right now so you can work through it? So again, they're thinking, oh, I have a partner here. If I am stumbling, stumbling, I am motivated to go ask for help. I'm motivated by the fact that I have a partner in this. Um, so often we tell people, you know, you know, Mike does this all the time. It's super easy. Why can't you do it? You know, or we, or we think that even if we're thinking it, that person can feel it through our chemicals and, you know, we can say things like, you know, you're really good at all of these things, but I want you to develop in this area. So I know the first couple of times you're going to do it, it's not going to be fun for you, but I have no doubt you're going to figure it out. And if I don't allow you to get awkward and uncomfortable and stumble, I can't get you to that next level. So let's stumble through this together. So it's just a really different way way um, to open up a conversation versus you've got this. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> usually the boss is like, I'm not real sure what to say. So I'm just going to go, go team. <laughs> go team. So <laughs> when I hear you talk about this, I hear the, the, the first word that comes to mind is empathy. Mm-hmm. Understand. Mm-hmm. Understand what our team member is going through. Put yourself in their shoes. As, as, a, as a humanistic type leader, if you've struggled in the same area and truly can feel what they're going through, that, that helps them to say, okay, somebody, I'm not alone. There's not something wrong with me. And if somebody takes the time to truly care about you and understand you, that's a safe environment where we feel like, hey, we belong. We're, we're important. And then, you know, one of a leader's greatest tools is asking questions and another one is listening and they're really skills. So asking those questions, listening, helping them find the answer within them builds their confidence versus you got this. No, tear it up. No, you're fine. And they walk away going, I don't know about that. But then being there to offer support to them. And, and I think the other thing that's, that's really important to talk about reducing fear, our relationship with failure is so important. How we view failure, you know, people in a fixed mindset, view failure, not as an individual act or action, but it actually creates their identity. Growth mindset people view failure as nothing more than a learning opportunity on their path to accomplish what it is they want to accomplish. They get excited about taking on those challenges and stuff. And so as leaders, we understand through the fear what it does to, you know, dopamine levels, you know, what it does to our serotonin, what it does to our cortisol. I mean, cortisol, all those things, it's super important and shifting up and not being that lazy leader who doesn't really know how to motivate somebody, but, but taking on some of these things. That's so insightful. I'm glad you brought up listening. And it's one of the things that I've really been thinking about a lot because again, we're having to listen in a different way. We used to listen, you were told, deep listening, you know, and what we would do is we would listen to their problem. We try to fix it because that sounded like a really good idea, but it actually, again, creates more fear. If I tell my boss that I'm struggling or I have this, then he or she's going to just try to fix it or they're going to take over and I don't want them to take over. I want to figure this out. And so I'm really looking at ways I call it conversation. Agility is hearing people, not hearing to fix their problems or hearing to motivate them or any of that. But hearing their limiting beliefs and how do you redirect the conversation so they can discover what they need? So for example, if I come up and you've given me a task and I'm like, I am not the best person for this, you know, Jamie over there, she's really good at this. Why didn't you like let Jamie do this? Well, I'm in fear because I know some of my team can do it well, but as my leader, you may need me to start to learn things. We might be cross-functioning. And so you know, hearing that fear and not just saying, well, they don't want to do the work. So that, you know, you just don't want to work hard. You don't want the extra project. You don't, and and the things that we sometimes think you can say things like, you know what, you're right. Jamie's actually really good at it, but I need you good at it too. And to get good, I need you to practice. And I know the first couple of times aren't going to go great. Just like you said, you may fail, but that's okay because Jamie and I are here to support you and we're going to help you learn that. And really starting to understand how are people thinking about things, especially people stuck in the past. You know, when someone says we've never done it that way, or we've tried that before and it didn't work. Well, they're saying that because they're in fear of change and asking questions around, you know, if we, if we did try this a new way and it works, what could it mean for us? And really, again, redirecting that conversation 
and not listening to fix, but listening to help someone grow their mindset. And again, it's that growth mindset of fixed mind leaders. Like I'm going to come and fix your problems because I know everything. The growth minded growth mindset at leader is going to hear that fear and help them reframe that conversation in their head so that they can work through it on their own. And I hear you say that, that fixed mindset leader, I hear a lot of direct command control. And on the other side, what it truly is, is coaching because people get coaching and training mixed up. If you're going to a training, we are going to teach you how to do something, right? Coaching is really a lot more about asking questions, listening, and helping the other person figure it out. What, one of my pet peeves, what, one of my absolute pet peeves, and it's, it's, it's not lazy leadership because it's not leadership at all. It's a lazy boss or manager is when everything is just, they're lazy. They're lazy. They're, and, and, and so many times I've had to say, no, you know, I, I, I'm going to push back. I'm going to hit the ball back over the net at you. Um, and, and challenge you to say, I don't think they're lazy at all. I think they lack the confidence. I think they're worried about messing up. Um, I think we haven't done a good job of training them for one or coaching them to help them through it. Cause I really believe, you know, as, as people, and you're talking about this and this is definitely fixed mindset. We, we build small ceilings above us and tight walls because that's very, very safe. And as human beings, our brains are wired to keep us safe. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, I think our job, and it's not done in a day and it's not done through a speech is to help them shatter that ceiling and to break down those walls. I think one of the most powerful things we can do for other people to help do that is believe in them. Believing in somebody is such a powerful, powerful thing. I'm not sure what chemical that releases in the brain. I'll let you answer that. But I found that to be so powerful. And not, not just saying I believe in you and walking away, but truly demonstrating and showing that, helping them through it, and then watching and intentionally catch them doing it right or making strides in progress, providing positive reinforcement, have a conversation and celebrate a little bit. And then, okay, from a coaching standpoint, how do we build on it from there? Yeah. That's a little oxytocin. That's some good stuff. Who doesn't want a little of that? Um, yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, we just, we're constantly trying to just be good humans. We're just trying to wake up every day and make our lives for the people around us a little better, take care of our families. You know, when there's families involved, the emotions get high. You know, if I have a bad day at work, I'm bad with my family. And, and I think that there's just so much humanity that we can share as leaders. And I think we're missing a lot of humanity and leadership. And I think, you know, I think we learned a lot about that in 2020. I think some people who, you know, had never struggled, maybe struggled for the first time. And um, I think we learned a lot about growth mindset and fixed mindset. You know, it, it was interesting because I have such a variety of clients. I work in all different industries, small, big, all different types. And as leaders were coming to me, it was interesting to hear their fears right? Like I'm worried about, I mean, everyone had fear who didn't with their business, but really then starting to watch people lead through it and watch the ones who were like, you know, we're just going to try it and see if it works or, you know, we're going to do this and it'll be just fine. And they were so rigid towards it. It actually broke down. It was just interesting, but you're absolutely right. I think as leaders, we have to have a little bit more humanity and we have to recognize that we're all just doing our best every day. And like you said, you know, I love that you talked about, you know, that person saying everyone's lazy. I get people saying, well, none of my people do this. None of my people do that. And always my first question is what about your language, your leadership, the way you lead made that come true for them? 
whenever there's a problem, we first got to ask what part of the problem am I? That's and right. Until we eliminate ourselves from the problem. I want to take a little deeper dive in oxytocin. I, I told Jennifer, this is one of the areas that I, I was so looking forward to this episode because yeah. I have so much to learn when it comes to the chemicals and how they work. And I'd taken some notes some time ago. Um, and so the oxytocin, because you talked about it being the bonding hormone. And mm-hmm. what I found, and just correct whatever I'm wrong with, but build on it if, if, mm-hmm. if I've got it right, is this bonding hormone isn't just a positive in the sense that you are bonding with somebody. It actually reduces and fights against stress, fear, anxiety. So as we're connecting with and bonding with people in this way, it's reducing those negative emotions. It absolutely is. And we're learning about them every day. And every day we're learning that there's even more chemicals that we don't have names to yet and different things like that. But the, the bonding piece of oxytocin is so important because you think about in the work environment and you've got a big project and everyone's got a pitch in and everyone's involved in it. If you don't have a sense of bond, then it breaks apart really fast. But when you've really done the work to create trust, which creates that oxytocin um, release, then you have that ability to come together. And we've all seen teams that came together and the impossible happened. And it's, it wasn't because they, you know, just met that day or maybe they did, but they trusted really fast. It was because there was a sense of we're in it together and we fell together and we grow together and we win together. And the more of that bonding sense a team has, the more they accomplish and the more they help each other. You know, it's really interesting around helpfulness in the workplace. Um, you know, there's some people who've done some research around that. I'm not by any means an expert, but I, I've, I've read about helpfulness in the, re- in the workplace. But when we are able to help people in the workplace, our teams actually function at a higher level because no one fails. And we have an environment where everyone's out to win it just for them. We actually sabotage the entire team because we're not willing to help because if we help someone, they may get, they may be equal to us. They may get ahead of us. But that helping um, sense of a team is incredibly um, um, important to the success. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, when I when I hear you talk about the the idea that we're helping, we're all in it together, versus that person who's in it for themselves and trying to look good, and the way that destroys things. One of the things we try to do intentionally is to reduce competition right? There's going to be some competition by nature. Um, but a big focus is something I teach my kids. It's something I talk about a lot within our workplace on the podcast, this idea of only compete against yourself and always compete against yourself. One of the things that we used to do at the police department years ago, evaluation wise that we changed was when evaluations come out, we would, we would show the ranking one through whatever with the names of the officers, and that, that was pretty negative, you know? And so one of the first things I did when I became the police chief was we posted the scores only. And if, if it weren't for the fact that these evaluations are a third of their promotional score, we wouldn't have posted the scores at all. But because it's a third of their promotional score for, you know, the next level, like sergeant, people do need to know where, where they're at. And it, they can see without being embarrassed and anybody knowing where they're at, Okay, now they can go ask, hey, what is it that, that I can do to get here or to get there? And But every way we could eliminate competition, we had a big issue with, with um, 
backstabbing and jealousy and envy when I took over as police chief. And so one of the things we immediately did was stop writing individual letters. There's rarely anything in the job that's done that doesn't involve a team. And even though Jennifer might've played the most significant role in the team, Danny still contributed. And so we started only writing letters of commendation that were posted on bulletin boards so everybody could see them to, to groups of people and, and pointing out the success of that and the fact that it couldn't have happened without the team and then started intentionally using the word team. And, and we actually required the supervisors to use the word six times a 12-hour shift. Um, and the bonding that that created and the elimination of the competition. And, and when people pulled together, it's exactly, as you said, what we were able to accomplish was so much more. And you rewrote um, their neural pathways is what you actually did. And they had this pathway of high competition. I only win as myself. You know, I've got to be on the top. I, you know, the list is going to get posted. But you intentionally did things different, you know, just by using the word team six times in 12 hours, you were creating a new neural pathway for supervisors to think this is a team. This is a team. This is a team. Um, you posted that and everyone saw it. They were like, oh, we're a team. And you just, you know, rewrote the neuroplasticity or in, you know, or the neuropathway of that, of that group of people to not think about being it for themselves, but to think about it as a team. And therefore that's how they thought, but it took time. It didn't happen the first day. I can promise you, I'm sure you, you no. remember how it felt the first day and everyone thought it was dumb and meh and all that. And then you got over that hump and then it started happening. And and you'll see, I'm sure today, you know, you probably still see some of the way those people act because that's now the pathway in which they think. It continues to be the culture. And this is why I was looking forward mm -hmm. to this conversation, just to get a deeper understanding of the fundamentals in, in my growth leadership journey. That, that's a lifelong journey. There's no destination. No destination. Um, what I'm really focused on right now is understanding more depths about why things work, not just the fact that they do. Because we, you know, great leaders are great multipliers. And if we don't understand how to multiply, if we don't understand how to coach or how to train or how to explain or how to help people look at it differently, if we don't understand those fundamentals, it's going to be about impossible for them to recreate what it is you want them to do. And, you know, this, this rewiring of this neural pathway isn't something I've heard a lot about. And so it's something that I'm taking away you know, from the episode and something I'll be able to use in my coaching sessions. And, and, and I think it's something for everybody to think about the, the idea that we really have two kind of emotions, happy and fear. <laughs> and, yeah. and we need to simplest. be, yeah, to, to, you know, and I love the simpleness of that. Right. Yeah. And so how do we intentionally connect in a happy way with, mm -hmm. with our people? And that's not weak on leadership. That's smart on leadership. So let me ask this question. Okay. Let me ask this. So inevitably, th there are problems that happen in the workplace. Somebody's late. Somebody's not being a good team member. Somebody isn't working hard enough, right? We've, we've eliminated ourselves from the problem. Somebody's violated a policy. Things, things just aren't going well. Understanding the way our brains work. What's the best way to go across, uh, come across that kind of situation so, so we get the change we want, but we don't have irreversible or near irreversible damage walking forward? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. It's funny. It's something I've been talking to a couple of clients about recently. And again, it's how did we, how are we told to do it and how should we do it? So we were told to do it for years and I'll watch my language since we're on a podcast, a poop sandwich, right? You say something nice, you tell them what they need to hear. Then you say something nice. I mean, that's a definition of passive aggressive. I'm going to be kind of not nice to you, kind of nice and kind of not nice. And then we'll go back and forth. That does not work. It confuses the world. It confuses what we're here for. And so when there is a performance issue that we have to address, because that is going to happen, it is the facts of life, then we need to be really honest and tell the truth in a way in which um, humanizes someone. So for example, if someone is, you know, require their um, part of the accounting team and the books have got to be closed out in five days at the end of the month, and this person can't get there. Then we tell them the very beginning when we set them down, what I want to talk about today is your, is the, the objective of closing the books out in five days. As you're aware, you've missed that the last three months. And today I want to talk about that. And I want to figure out why and how we can change it. And you just tell them the truth. You don't dress it up like, you're, you know, you, you're, everyone likes you, but you can't do this. But everyone, it, it just is really confusing. And so you, you're honest with people in a way in which you ask questions, you discover, and you can still tell them at the end of it, you know, we've, we have co-created this um, plan to get you to close out the books by, in five days. But I do need you to know if we don't get there, we'll have to continue this conversation it is okay to say that because again, you're being honest and you've, you've humanized them. You've come up with a plan, but you've also been honest with what will happen if they can't do it. And I think that we're, we shy away so much from performance conversations that that's when people don't grow because they're like, I'm, I just had this talk. I think I'm in trouble, but I don't really know what I'm supposed to do. And that's because we, you know, use those old fashioned conversations that we shouldn't use. At, at the end of the day, the, the way you've just described doing that, I had a, a really good mentor that, that did things in that way. You want the, the person with the performance issue walks away feeling bad that they let the other person down because, you know, as, as this leader has made all these deposits into that emotional relationship account, because any negative conversation Almost any negative conversation is going to make some withdrawals, but how we do that, we can minimize the amount of the withdrawal. And when you get skilled enough at it, you've been able to communicate this message, as you said, and the person walks away feeling like they let you down, more disappointed in themselves, then we're really doing our jobs and because they're motivated to do good for themselves, but they're motivated to do good for, for the supervisor as well. And, and I think that's pretty powerful. And I, most people... You know, the, the old school was you'd come in, you'd get your butt chewed, yeah. right? You'd be told what you did wrong and you'd be told it's better never happen again. And you'd be told to get out of the office. And, and, and all that does is destroy relationships and destroy cultures and create a lot of fragmentation. What you talked about is how you really repair and help and build people. Um, and and the, the difference in impact, I think, is, is pretty phenomenal. So, it makes such a difference. Jennifer, um, is there... Because this is an area I'm not as familiar with as we talked about at the beginning of the show, mm -hmm. um, is there anything I haven't asked about? You're like, and I'm surprised you didn't ask about this. We should cover this real quick before you know we we ask about your call to action. Mm -hmm. I think what you should ask. Here's a good question: Is if you are the leader and you're in absolute fear and you don't know what to do, what do you do? 
Wow. We've talked a lot about reducing fear in our team, but we're leaders making big decisions. We have fear too, and we have to address our own fear. And the more that we address our own fear, the easier it is for us to manage fear in others. Because again, the more fear we have as leaders, the less we can uh, make logical decisions, the less emotional and empathy we can feel because we're so wrapped up in our own fear. And so as leaders, our place to start is reducing our fear so we can reduce the team's fear. And you can do that in a myriad of ways. And a lot of it is, you know, one of the techniques I teach a ton is what else could be true. And so when you, something goes wrong or something's happened and you're making all these assumptions, not saying it couldn't be true, but what else could be true? You know, you could come in and, you know, the team missed a deadline and you're just spewing mad and you're yelling and you're upset because you know your boss is going to be mad. But what else could be true is maybe, you know, the internet went down, they couldn't do it. What else could be true is maybe they found a problem upstream. And if they fix that, they're actually fixing more problems down the road, but you were so wrapped up, you couldn't see it. And so always asking what else could be true. And also when you think about um, like, you know, you're busy and you haven't talked to your boss in two weeks and you're like, well, I haven't talked to him. They must be mad at me. And right. We create this story. We've created fear. Now people are in our office and we're in fear. So we can't be empathetic to them. You can also stop and say, you know what? They've been really busy. They've had a ton going on. I'm going to give them some grace and I'm going to connect with them. And so really as leaders, we have to manage our fear first, and then we can manage the fear in our team. Love that. Love that. And so as we do that, when we ask that question, um, what, what else could it, could it be? One thing I'd really challenge people with, and I was just having this conversation with my wife the other day about something that was going on. We are so wired to go to the worst case scenario that when we're feeling that way, rarely are we right. We create this world that does not exist. And we've got to be really careful and asking what else could it be? What are the alternative scenarios? The, the other thing that I think is important when we're facing tough situations is do you have a mentor? If you don't go, I don't care if you're the CEO of a Fortune 100 company, if you're a city manager, police chief, whatever it is, do you have a mentor? Do you have a couple mentors? Because I like to, I like to have, well, I've got five, but I like to have more than one across different places. And then depending on what that build is, this executive coaching space is a big deal. I've started to look at executive coaching with some of our team members and, you know, it's nothing in the public sector I really ever thought about, but the discoveries that are happening there. And so but we've got to have somebody that we can turn to as well, um, because if we're in fear, that's going to come across and that's generally going to create fear in the people we're trying to lead. And that's the last thing that we want to do. Absolutely. And um, no um, executive should be out in the wild without a coach. I truly do believe that. Um it's, it's so amazing. I, I just, I wake up every day and I'm like, how did I get so lucky to have this great job where, you know, and before we got on camera, I was talking about coaching sessions I've had this week and stories about people that, you know, showed up and they were mad at this person and this relationship was breaking down. And we, we talked it through and they reduced their fear. And all of a sudden 
they're like, oh, that's what probably happened. But they got to a place where they could see it in a different way. And then they could plan of how to go back and get back in balance with that person. And it's just, it's really amazing to watch humans who take that time to take care of their mental health, to take care of their, um, their fear and, and really just, again, like you said, be 1% better every day. And the people that are living their life that way, I mean, it's just, they're just, they're just great. They're just so lucky, you know, and everyone can do that. It just, it takes work. You, you know, it's just like, you know, exercising or anything else we do, it takes work. But once you get used to doing that work, you build that neural pathway. And so every day you get up, it gets easier and easier to live your life in a way of knowing that you are in control and that you can create your own path. You can create your own path. We, we choose. It's the greatest yeah. thing about our lives. And especially, you know, in, in this democratic country we live in where we are truly yes. free, we, mm-hmm. we get to choose. We choose our mindset. We choose our life. And, and there's consequences to what our choices are if we choose differently. That's fine. But at the end of the day, we get to choose. Uh, one of the things I heard you say in there and from executive coach side or mentors, mm-hmm. create a new sense of awareness, emotional intelligence, because oftentimes we don't see we're in our own way and we are in our own way. The only thing that's really stopping us is us. And we think it's everybody else or everything else, but it's us. And so how do we get out of our own way and how do we react? That, what, a great, what a great question you just asked yourself. That's, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you have a quick call to action uh, for our listeners today? So you can, um, we have a couple of great freebies you can download from our website. One of them is how to create innovation and have crazy idea meetings. And you can go to 304coaching.com and find that. And you can also find another great resource around the addiction to being right and the damage that does to relationships in the workplace. And then how do you start to step away from that addiction? And how do you open up again, innovation and trust in the work environment? So we have lots of free tools for you um, in the resource section at 304coaching.com. 304coaching.com. That'll be linked in the podcast description and details. This addiction to being right, which is really the the foundation and the seven deadly sins of leadership, the podcast we did uh, mm-hmm. and was released in early January. What an incredible episode. So many takeaways there. Jennifer Thornton, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for joining us. You always are a wealth of information and knowledge. We really appreciate it. Well, I always have a great time and who knows, maybe we can do it again soon. Well, absolutely. I'm going to hold you to that, right? Okay, let's do it. We can do a quarterly. Yeah, we'll do a quarterly podcast or something. Who knows? A quarterly podcast. So (laughs) talking about the neuroscience of leadership, um, knowing today that the difference between what we know today and and what they knew 30, 40 years ago, um, in, in so many areas, we were getting it wrong. I mean, we know now that leadership isn't about power and control. It's about service and empowerment. You know, Jennifer broke it down simplistically, which I really love that there's two basic emotions that we feel happy and fear. When we're in fear, our prefrontal cortex shuts down. We don't make very good decisions and it shuts down creativity, innovation. It destroys psychological safety, um, destroys productivity, destroys teams. And so we really got to be focused on different ways to, to, create a safe environment, to create an environment where we connect and bond, we're releasing those positive um, chemicals in the brain, the oxytocin, the, the, the dopamine, the serotonin, and really reducing those levels of cortisol. Um, it, it just makes it, and, and now we know enough to really go at it, to really figure it out. One of the things at the end of this podcast, I think is a huge takeaway. If you're a leader in fear, what should you do? And so looking to alternatives about what else could it be that I'm fearful of, but really considering if you don't getting an executive coach, 
you know, getting a mentor, getting two or three different mentors and opening yourself up to that. We're all human. We, we no longer have to show up as the strongest, the smartest, the know everything, always got to have every answer, right? Matter of fact, we're much more effective as leaders if we don't, if we say we don't know, if we show the human side, if we connect. Um, and, and if we're really trying to create high-performing organizations and make the impact in the world we were put here to create, and if we're really serious about helping our team members do that, this is the path. This is the way. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing. Leave us a rating or review so we can reach people more organically. And remember, always be committed to excellence. <laughs>